0: Good morning crosspoint. Good morning. You guys doing good today? Good. hey how many of you guys enjoyed that extra hour of sleep? Let me hear you. Come on. that's some good news for you right there, right? Listen, I love good news like that. Anytime I can have a little bit more time to sleep, that is some good news for me. Um, man, how many of you guys love getting good news? Yeah We love good news. Yeah, I theres I love getting good news and sometimes there's just some news. That changes everything. You could receive something, this piece of information, that changes everything for you. And I had one of these moments for me in my life at Christmas 2019. I received some news that changed everything for me. You see, uh, we spend... uh, Kyla and I's families are from the Midwest, and we spend our holidays with them. And so Christmas 2019, we were in Indiana. And Kyla went to Indiana a couple days before me. I had some Christmas Eve services to do in California and so Christmas Eve happens. I, get, I drive to LAX because everyone loves to spend Christmas Eve in LAX. And we, I, I get on a flight to go to Indianapolis. I fly through the night. We get there. At uh, like 5 a.m. and then we get to her house and I'm, it's, it's tire- I'm tired, I'm like groggy, I'm sleepy, I sleep for a little bit. And then Kyla wakes me up, she's like, hey, we have, um, we have like family Christmas, can you get up and where are you going to go? I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure, let's do it let's do this. And then uh, like as soon as I get up, she's like, hey, actually, she shuts the door she's like, and she sits me down and she's like, I actually have a gift for you. And you, men, if you've had this moment in your life before where your wife gives you a gift that you have not done anything to do to like, like you have not, I don't have any gift to give to her, you know, Um, have you guys ever had this moment where you're just like, I didn't get her a card, you know, goodness, and so I remember she gives me this card, and the whole time I'm just like, what could I give her that would help like, remedy, like to even it out, you know, am I alone in this, guys, can, can you, come on, and so I was just like, okay, maybe I could like find something in my bag that I could just like hand it and be like, I thought about you also, you know, but, and so like, I was just like thinking about that the whole time I open up the card and like something falls out and like, I'm one of those guys, who so I don't really read like what the card actually says, you know, I just read what you wrote. Like, that's the thing I go to immediately. And like, I like, I'm just like, oh man, I didn't get her anything. And then all it says on, and I'm delirious, it's, I've been traveling all, you know, I've been going for a long time. And in the card it says, I guess God thinks we're ready. And I'm like, what? And then I looked down and I picked this thing up and this is a pregnancy test. And it was, and I, and I looked at the card and there was like a baby on the card. I should have seen it coming. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at Kyla and I said, you're joking. She <laughs> so goes, no, we're having a baby. And I said, you're joking. You're, and I, for some reason, I said the words, you're joking, maybe 13 times. I just kept saying, you're, I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, it didn't compete in my head. I'm like, We're, this, is, this is great. This is awesome. This, we weren't trying to do this, but this is great. This is very, very fun. And listen, <laughs> that news fundamentally changed everything about my life. How many of you guys are parents in here who that news of becoming a parent, changed everything for you. Like, it, it just, it was, like, incredible. And if you know me, this is like, changed everything about me. This is, like, I, I pretty much talk about Eleanor all the time. Like, all of my Instagram feed is just things that she does. Like, I love talking about, it's, it's one of those things that just, like, it permeates, like, throughout me. And, and my life has changed forever because of that news. And big news has the power to do that. Big news has the power to change your life. And over the next couple weeks, we're actually going to be talking, uh, we're finishing up a study that we, uh, in the gospel of Luke, that we, that we were last in in 2021. We have one more chapter to go. And with, so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. And in this chapter, we actually discover some news There is some new information that happens in Luke chapter 24 and this truth that we discover may be the most transcendent truth of all time. And this bit of information is the key that history hinges on that we find here in Luke. And my hope for you today is that you would come to the conclusion that what we are about to read, the news that is about to be given, my hope for you today is that you would come to the conclusion that it is true. That the thing that we're reading is not some made-up fairy tale, that this thing that we're about to read is actually true. But I don't want it to just stay at just a truth level for you. My hope is that you would actually understand that it's true and you would respond accordingly. Let me set this scene up before we get into the passage. Jesus. He's a man who claimed that he was actually God. And he taught with such like authority and conviction and power from the scriptures that no one had ever seen before. And he was going around and he was healing people and he was and he was casting out demons and he was feeding tens of thousands of people with basically nothing. And get this. He was actually going around and forgiving people's sins. And the religious leaders of the day hated him for it. They hated what he taught. They hated, they, at every moment they could, they tried to undermine what Jesus would, was saying. They tried to undermine and like ruin whatever ministry that he would be able to have, but they just couldn't do it. And so finally they got so upset, they got so irritated that they purposed that they were going to kill him. And so what they did is they, they convinced one of his disciples, they paid him off to betray Jesus, And so this happens, and Jesus is arrested. He is tried unjustly. And they pressure, the religious leaders pressure the the Roman leaders, hey, you should crucify this guy. You should kill him. And they do it. And they beat him mercilessly. And they put him on a cross, and he dies the most excruciating death that you could have. And he gets taken off the cross, and he gets buried in a borrowed tomb and everyone who had hope that Jesus was actually God was disappointed because you see the people of Israel at that time they were waiting for this coming Messiah like all of, all of the history of Israel and God's revelation to the people, they kept, and all the prophets before, they kept talking about this person that would be, that would be coming, that would save them, that would establish a new kingdom, that would, that would be their God. This, this promised Messiah was coming. And when they saw Jesus doing what he was doing, so many people were like, this could be it. This could be it. This actually could be the one. And they put all of their hope and their stock in Jesus. And I would too, if you could see what he was doing in person, but then also their hopes were dashed when he didn't get off the cross. He actually died. Can you imagine being some of these people who follow Jesus? You put all of your hope in something like this, and it's dashed. We, we do this all the time, we we put our hope in things that actually don't last. All the time, maybe for you, you put all your hope in a marriage relationship, and you realize that for whatever reason, it isn't the thing that actually does what you need it to do for you. And you find yourself looking for intimacy, and you find yourself lonelier than you've ever been, or maybe it blows up altogether. Or maybe you're looking, you put all your stock and your hope and your ability to achieve. Like you graduated, you got that thing, you got the job, you accomplished these things. But as you keep accomplishing things, you realize the ceiling gets higher and higher and higher. And like your ability to like make things happen is only met with the never-ending ladder that you have to achieve. We put our hope in a lot of different things. And you've probably done this in a lot of different areas in your life and you realize how like, putting your hope in something can fail you. But if you've ever feel, felt like this, then you, you can empathize, empathize what the followers of Jesus must have been feeling. They thought he was the one. They thought he was the one that was going to save them. He thought they were going to establish this new kingdom. And he wasn't. Because God doesn't die, but Jesus died. And so as he's buried, imagine like, can you imagine like just the devastation and like the the grief that all these people must have felt? And that was on a Friday. And then we get to Sunday morning in Luke chapter 24. This is what it says. But on the first day of the week, early at dawn, They went to the tomb, they being a group of women who followed Jesus. And taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel." As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen to this. This is one of the greatest lines in all of Scripture. You ready? The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how we told you? Then these angels, they're, they're telling him what happened. And then they're kind of like telling him, kind of like instructing him, you kind of should have known this. This is what the angels said. They said, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, or be be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven disciples and to the rest of the followers of Jesus. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them, who told these things to the apostles? But these words seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The these these men, when they looked at the story, this kind of crazy story that the women brought, um, they're like these these crazy ladies. Like this is just some old wives' tale. That like do they not realize? Like we're in the middle of grief right now. We're in the middle of like. Just the worst thing that could have happened to us right now happened to us. And you're going to be telling us these stories. Women didn't have a lot of say back in these days. And they didn't have a lot of stock. And so most of them didn't believe them. But it said, But Peter, good old Peter, he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw that the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. You see, what we read right here. This is brand new information. This is something that deserves acknowledgement. This is something that no matter if you believe it true or not, you have to come to terms whether with it. Because if it is true, this changes everything. This changes everything. And the story of these women who went to the tomb and discovered that Jesus wasn't there, it hit the com- their community like a bombshell. And it just everybody was talking about it. They didn't know what to make of all this stuff. And we see in verse 13 the story of two disciples of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about the things that are going on. Again, they're dealing with the grief. They're dealing with like the, the shattered expectations, the shattered hope. And we see the conversation happens right here. It says in verse 13, That very day two of them were going to the village named Emmaus. That's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other all about the things that had happened. But while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to him, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stopped. They stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, kind of with this sarcastic remark. He said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus, who does actually know what is happening in these days, <laughs> who is at the center of the things happening at these days, he goes, what things? <laughs> you know, isn't that so kind of Jesus? Jesus, like, he knows exactly the answer. But what he's doing is he's drawing out a response from people. He wants them to articulate what is going on. Why does it impact them? What, what makes it so, what, what, what is happening? You know, One of the, one of the names of Jesus, is he's, he's a wonderful counselor. A good counselor will help us articulate what it is we're actually feeling. And Jesus goes, what things? And he said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in deed and word before the Lord, a deed and the word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all of this, It is now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and they did not find his body. And they came back saying all these things. how they seen a vision of angels who said that he was actually alive? And some of us who were with us went to the tomb and found that it was as the women had said. The men checked it out. They confirmed it was good. But they did not see. Uh, but, it was, but him, they did not see. They didn't see Jesus. And Jesus turns from like this stranger who's just asking a lot of questions. And he transitions over into teaching them about what is actually happening. And he says to them, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory. And Jesus, He begins to do something. I wish, I man, I wish we could have like seen the actual record of what Jesus actually says to these people, but we have the highlight. And it says, that at beginning with Moses, all the way in Genesis, and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning Himself. Jesus, Jesus begins to like communicate to these guys, hey, you should know this. Let me show you, let me kind of paint to you, paint a picture of why everything happened the way it happened. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted, Jesus acted as if he was going further, and they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is is far now spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They spent all this time walking towards Jerusalem, or towards Emmaus. And this was like news that was so preeminent. They're like, we can't wait to, till tomorrow. It's like not safe to typically travel at night. But they're like, we, this, is, this news requires so much of us. So we're going to go. And they immediately go back to Jerusalem to tell everybody what is going on. So they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 the disciples, and those who were with them gathered, all the people who followed Jesus, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. There's another story of how Jesus appeared to Simon. And then they told their story of what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking Of bread, I imagine that these two people might have been in the upper room at the Last Supper. And when Jesus was breaking, when he was kind of establishing this new rhythm of communion of the Lord's Supper, then he broke the bread and he blessed it. I imagine that they looked at him and things just clicked and, like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And what we have just read, right now, we have the vantage point of being Christians 2,000 years after this event happened. Like it's not hard for us. Like this, we just, we grew up knowing that Jesus, like before we even figured out Jesus died, we know that Jesus was resurrected. Like we never really had to live in the tension of Jesus never like not being alive. But at one point, this was brand new information to people. And this actually right here was the single greatest truth claim of all time. And the purpose of Luke writing the purpose that, that he's writing these things down is for us to know that what actually happened here actually happened. That this is true. And that this truth that God actually rose back to life again, that this news is for everyone. It is not just for like the religious, uh, like pious people who are up here, it is for every single person. This news of the resurrection of Jesus is good news. It's good news for you. And today, I just have one main point for you based out of this passage. And this main point, it accidentally rhymes. You ready for this? The resurrection of Jesus is true, and it requires a response from you. The resurrection of Jesus is true, and it requires a response from you. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus, this truth claim, we have to come to terms with do we believe it or not? Do we actually believe that this is true or we don't? And we have to come to that conclusion on our own. But what Luke is trying to do and what I hope that you will end up doing is that you will just get to the point where you actually believe it, but it's not enough just to stay there with belief. It has to impact you. You have to move. You have to, you have to act. You have to respond to this truth. So, the first thing is you have to know that the resurrection is true. How can we know that the resurrection is true? You know, I just have, I have a couple points that will help that helps us from this passage. Just know and have a reasonable expectation that what Luke is writing about actually happened. The first, the first reason that we can know that the resurrection is actually true is because the tomb was empty, the tomb was empty. You know, both biblical and non-biblical scholars, they all agree that the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. They, you know, the, the reason for the tomb being empty was different depending on who you talk to in Matthew. Uh, they, the, the Gospel of Matthew talks about how the, the leading priests actually paid the Roman centurions who were guarding the, the tomb. They paid them off to say that, hey, say that the disciples of Jesus came into the night and broke in and, and stole the body away. And there's... there's um, you know, even extra-biblical literature that, that reports this back. And, you know, you talk to people who follow Jesus, you're like, no, no, he's, he, it's, it's empty because he walked out of there alive. Like, this is a big deal. No matter what the reason people are saying or claiming that the tomb is empty, one thread that kind of unites this whole thing is that everybody actually believed that the tomb was empty. Like, they believed that there was no body in that tomb. And listen, This is a big deal because the number one thing that you would have to do, the easiest way that you could kill this movement of Christianity, the easiest way that you could kill this this idea that Jesus actually rose from the dead, is just to produce a body. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. This is one of those reasons that they said the tomb was empty. This should let you know that it should give you some hope and some, some confidence knowing that this actually happened. Number two, the, the, the other reason that we can, we can look and to see that this is actually true is that it says that women were the ones who discovered the empty tomb. Do you know in the first century, if I was trying to make up a story, the last thing that I would do, and if I wanted to have this story have some credibility and have some like momentum with it, the last thing that I would do is to say that women were the ones responsible in reporting the most foundational aspect of this lie. Because you know that women in the first century in Jewish court didn't have a voice. They weren't even allowed to testify in Jewish court. So why would Luke say that the most important thing about our faith, why did he say that women were the ones who discovered it? Maybe because it actually happened. You know, if he was like trying to like, produce this propaganda machine to try to convince a bunch of people of a lie, you would do it differently than Luke did it. You would say, like, it, it, a group of very highly respected, educated men found this thing, but Luke didn't say that. Luke actually, it looks bad. The men look bad in this story. The men look really bad. They don't believe it. They're, like, surprised every time. And the women that came in, and they, they're the ones who, who said, hey, this is what happened. This is the, if you were making something up, you would not do this. You would not do this. This For me, this reasonably suggests that the reason Luke wrote these things down is because they're just the events that took place. The women found the empty tomb. Number three, or the third reason that I think we can, from this passage, that we can faithfully conclude that this happened was all the different eyewitness accounts. You know, he, he appeared to these two men on the road, and he, you know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, Paul, he's like talking about the resurrected Jesus, and he says that Jesus, after he was resurrected, he appeared to over 500 different people. And he, and he lists a bunch of them, and then he, and he says um, most of them are still alive. Because Paul wrote that about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and what Paul was essentially saying to people was he was saying, listen, this did not happen in a vacuum. This did not happen in a cave. This happened in front of a bunch of people. And if you want to ask people, ask them. Check my sources. Do that. You know, if I was trying to convince people that I was God, the number one strategy that I would have, one of the main things that I would want to make sure that I did I would make sure that I would try as hard as I could that I would try to get the, the message of, of this lie of me being God, I would wait till I was dead, and I would wait till everybody who knew me was dead. Because as soon as, you find, as soon as you talk to anybody who knows me, they're going to quickly tell you that, "Hey, he's not God. That dude is not God at all. I've talked to him before. Um, and the thing about God the thing about Jesus and what he did. He didn't just like, there, there was no, he did not just like raise the life again and immediately go up. He rose to life again and spent time with people. He appeared to over 500 people. They could, if anybody, anybody in the first century had any questions about what happened, they could actually talk to people. They could do it. This is really, really, really important. Number four, one of the reasons we can believe that this is true is that the old testament tells us this is true. When Jesus is on the road with these two men, he's, he's walking with them. And you know, it's interesting how it says that the, his identity was kept from them. You know, some people some people say that he was the same but different. Like he looked, you know, he he was he was a little bit different in his appearance, but he was he was similar. Maybe that's the reason why they didn't recognize him, but it, but in other versions it said like he was kept, they were kept from knowing who he was. And the question then is, like, why did he do that? Why Wouldn't he just want to be, like, immediately walking next to him and be like, Jesus, what? Like, (laughs) I, I think that we, I've asked Pastor Bruce and we've read a bunch of stuff about it. The short answer is, we don't know. We don't know why exactly this happened. But what I can see here is that maybe one of the reasons why Jesus kept his identity from them was for him to be able to walk through the, the, the story and the plan of God, starting in Genesis chapter three, all the way through the prophets, all the way till now. And do you know that the Old Testament, the story, when the, the revelation of God, when it is given, all, all, of, all of human history has been kind of angled towards Jesus, waiting for the coming of a Messiah? In Genesis chapter 3, it's first prophesized there's going to be someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent, who's going, to be his, who's going to bruise his heel. And Jesus, so lovingly, he begins to like tell them and interpret them, you see this from Moses? You see this from the prophets? We just got done studying the prophets. And last week we talked about Isaiah. And we talked about all the beautiful imagery that Isaiah has about this coming Messiah, Jesus. This was not an isolate. The, the plan of God was not just a spur-of-the-moment plan for for Jesus to come and to die. This has been a plan since eternity past. And I think one of the reasons Jesus didn't immediately reveal himself to them is they could actually see the beauty in what has happened. This was not the -the spur-of-the-moment thing. The Old Testament has been leaning towards this event, and it finally happened the Old Testament tells us that this was going to happen. And then the last thing is that Jesus tells us that this happened. He told us that this was going to happen. You know, I was a film major in college at Missouri State, so not like awesome, but it was, um, I was a film major. And one of our senior, our senior like class project, our senior film, um, the director of the thing came up to us. and was like, hey, I think I have an idea of what we should do our senior film on. And I'm like, lay it on me. Let's hear it. And she's like, all right, I think we should do an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation of The Black Cat. And we can set it in like the 1930s, I believe it would be like a period piece, and I can use my cat. <laughs> and I, I, looked, I was like, you do know that the two things that they've told us in our classes that we should avoid in a student film is to do a period piece because it's really difficult to make 2022 look like 1936. Okay, like we dress different, the cars are different, everything else is different. Like it takes, like in Hollywood, it's like a lot of money to like age things down. So that's like one thing. But then the other thing that they said is like never use animals in a student film because animals are animals. They're persnickety. You can't control an animal like, and especially a cat. Are you kidding me? And like, we did this thing. And so like, but then like everybody else is just like, well, this, she goes, well, this, I wrote the script and the script's are already done. And all the other people were like, well, script's done. Let's go for it. And I'm like, guys, I just want to say, I think this is a bad idea. I think it's not going to go well. Um, but if everybody wants to do it, I just, I'll say my piece and I'll be done. So we did it. And we proceeded to make the worst student film you have ever seen in your life. It's horrible. I have one DVD of it, and I will never show anybody. (laughs) It's that bad. But then, like, towards the end of, like, film, it's like a train wreck. Everything's a disaster about it. then people started coming to me after, like, towards the end. They're like, yeah, dude, we probably should have listened to you, man. Like, that's, like, we had to paint the cat a little bit. The cat didn't like that. Um, (laughs) Tell you that much. But I'm like, this is your cat. Who's going to get, I don't know. Um, I didn't paint the cat. Would never do that. Um, but then what I wanted so badly to do if I were to like go to these people and I would write if I were to write a memoir of our experience on the set of the Black Cat do you know what it would have been called I told you so <laughs> Do you know that if Jesus were to write a memoir about what has happened to his disciples it would have been called I told you so Jesus was telling his disciples time and time again that he was going to die and that he was going to raise again on the third day. Like this was not a surprise to Jesus. And this shouldn't have been a surprise to them. But they didn't have the hearts to believe what was actually happening. And it says, it says this um, in, in Luke chapter 9, earlier on in Luke. G- this is one of the many times that Jesus predicted this. And he says to them, The Son of Man, me, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribe and be killed and on the third day be raised. You can't get any clearer than that. Like Jesus told them this is going to happen. This was not new information for them. And listen, if a man can predict his death and resurrection and actually do it, I'm just going to go with whatever that man says. He did it. He predicted it. This is, not, this is something that we just know to be true because of what he said. The resurrection of Jesus is true. It's true. You can rely on it. If you build your life on this thing, you're not building on on, on sand. You're building on a solid foundation. Jesus actually rose again from the dead. Physically. He did it. You can know it to be true. But listen, if it stops with you just knowing that to be true, then you're missing out because the resurrection of Jesus is true, but it requires a response from you. It requires a response from you. My hope for everybody is that they would come to acknowledge that Jesus really was here and that He really did die and that he really did raise again on the third day. But it's not enough to simply know, it requires a response. You know, back in 2019, when Kyla told me that we were pregnant, um, I could have believed it to be true and opted out of a response. We know this to be true because there are many men all around the world who know that they have children, but they are not parenting their kids. And are they the dad? Yeah, technically, but I don't know, not really. This truth actually requires a response. It requires a complete overhaul of what is going on in your life. And when you get life changing news like this, it's not enough to just know you have to respond to it. And there are too many people who know, maybe intellectually, maybe they do believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, but they haven't really responded to the resurrection of Jesus. They haven't really, they haven't, they maybe believe it all's true, but may, maybe you have like, you kind of, I probably believe it, but I have some objections, but I mainly kind of whatever. And if that's you today, you need to know that if Jesus actually did this, if he actually rose from the dead, that the implications are vast. They're enormous. If this actually is true, then it requires something from you. And if he really did this, then you really have to respond in really two ways. The first thing that you have to respond to if this actually is true is you just have to make him Lord. You have to make Jesus Lord of your life. And Lord, we don't use this, this term Lord in our like modern-day vernacular. Lord is, some, is something someone who has authority or control or power over somebody else. And before the resurrection, they, they said Jesus Lord. as kind of like, a, uh, like an honoring thing. But after the resurrection, when they called Jesus Lord, it was a statement of deity. They said, Jesus, you are Lord you are God. You are in control. You are over everything. You are even over me. And it was, it was amazing. And listen, the only, way, the, the only way for you to experience the end result of what the resurrection of Jesus can bring is for you to make Jesus your Lord. It's for you to make Jesus your Lord. And in Romans 10 verse 9 it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The only way to salvation is not just to know the truth, but to confess it and declare that Jesus is Lord. Then you will be saved. You will be saved. And some of you know this story, but you've never confessed this story. And for whatever reason you may have some objections, maybe you have some you, you still want to live life the way you want to live it. Can I just like be really blunt with you for a second? If Jesus actually did raise from the dead, your objections don't matter. Like it do, like if this is actually true, who cares what you think? If this is true, then it should change everything about you. If this is the only way to get to heaven, submit to God. If this is the only way to have life here on earth and purpose here on earth, submit to God, make Jesus Lord of your life. Make Jesus Lord. What are you waiting for? And here's the thing, maybe you're like, oh, I have some doubts. You know that Jesus can handle your doubts. Jesus can handle your, your objections. You know, I, maybe you're, you feel like those two men that were on the road with him and they, had, they were probably they were dealing with such grief And loss and devastation because the person they thought they put their hope in would save them, he died. And they didn't realize that the very thing that they were just grieving over was the very thing that gave them salvation. And they were so consumed with grief and their stuff that they missed the Savior of the world walking next to him. And maybe you're here today and you're so, you may know this, this may be true, but you're just so messed up with some grief or disappointment in your life and you're angry at God and you're like, God, where are you? Do you know that Jesus is actually right next to you? He's never left. God is, it's not a matter of like us like trying to find God. God is here. All you have to do is turn to him. And he said, God, I just need you to save me. Can you be my Lord? I need you to be my Lord because I'm a bad Lord of myself. Could you help me? So you got to make him Lord, and he won't fail you. He's never failed anybody in 2,000 years, and he's not going to start with you. So you got to make him Lord. And the last thing is, you got to, if he is Lord, if he did what he said, and he's Lord of life, then you have to obey what he says. You have to obey what he says. And if you want to see the supernatural power of God flowing through you, that only happens when you step in obedience to him. A lot of times people think that, okay, I'm just going to wait for God to work in my life, and then, like, I'm going to wait for, like, the supernatural power to flow, then I'm going to do what he says. That's not really how it works. The, the pathway to power is when you just step out and obey him, even when you don't totally know. It's called faith. And you just say, I, I'm going I'm to do this because I believe that you're going to come through, God. I'm going to follow you even when it's hard because I just believe you're going to come through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to really pursue holiness because I believe that this is what you want me to do. And it's impossible on my own to do it, but I know you're with me. And so I'm going to believe it. I'm just going to try. I'm going to act as if you're going to do it. And the power of the supernatural life can flow through you. And listen, the the power of the supernatural life, like it's it flows outward. Like God does not fill you up to just have yourself be really excited and bloated. He wants you, he wants to fill you. He wants you to experience what this what this power working through you of obedience is like so that you can impact other people. If if Jesus is Lord, if He actually did rise from the dead and we only keep it to ourselves then we are missing out on the full extent of what God wants to do in our lives. You know, if you were to sit down with God, if God were to sit down with you and, like, have this, like, coaching moment or correcting moment, what do you think would be the first thing, the one thing that he would tell you? Maybe... For you, you know, this idea of like following God and like obeying God, you're like, I've got to do so many things. It's so crazy. But can I tell you that the the thing that you need to do is just take a baby step over into the direction of God? What's the one thing that you feel like the Lord would tell you? Like, hey, you, you gotta, you gotta start believing me right here. You gotta start following me right here. What is that one thing for you? And when you start taking baby steps in the right direction, the Lord is pleased. And you are acting as if he is Lord over your life because he is either Lord of all in your life or he is not Lord at all. And if you live your life and there's Jesus doesn't really have the authority to speak over you in certain areas, then he's not really your Lord. And my hope for you today is that you actually experience the power of the Lordship of Christ. And you feel that that joy and that contentment and that, com- that peace and you watch him use you to do things that you never thought you'd be able to do on your own. Because listen, the resurrection of Jesus, it's true and it requires a response from you.